what do you want to get out of your NFTs? <laughs> you like how I asked it? I'm like, this, that's how I hear this question in my head. Actually, good question. <laughs> being here, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Shinoda, member of the Ledger Pro Team. Uh, the Ledger Pro Team is a small group of people that we interact with as much as we can so that we can get feedback from them and their communities and hopefully we give back to them and their communities as well. Um, today we're here talking about security. So Mike's community on Discord has asked some questions about security. I'm here representing not only myself, but really the entire Ledger team. But we're here to talk about the state of the art when it comes to security around digital assets, digital collectibles, NFTs, crypto, et cetera. Well, you certainly, uh, you and your the, and Ledger uh, company, like certainly represent a perspective on security that I wanna share with my fans. Um, I think a lot of it should be like, it's important to know, that I think the vast majority of people that follow me on any type of social media aren't uh, crypto holders or NFT holders or anything like that. So one of the things that I think makes them a little bit apprehensive about getting started is the security part. So uh, that's one of the reasons I'm excited to be uh, on the Ledger Pro team and to have this conversation. By the way, you know, I mean, people should be nervous about it because I think we have this new invention really, which is this, you have digital stuff that you could lose. I mean, that's actually kind of new in the old days, you know, if I, you know, if I lost a, uh, you know, a Drake or a Lil Wayne song, like I'd just be like, hey Mike, can you send me that song, right? <laughs> send it again. It was just a copy of a copy of a copy to begin with, right? But you know, if today, if I lost a, a CryptoPunk, be like, oh shit, I just, lost a lot of value and I might not get it back. And, you know, as we know, like stealing value, like stealing a billion in gold bars is like, you know, physically difficult, but mm. stealing a lot of value digitally is, is much easier. So, you know, I think that, that this is super important and the whole space has a long way to go to make it easier to use and to educate people on, you know, on, on how you do this. So. Yatsenko Anastasia wants to know what types of protection are there for like digital assets? And um, can the user make a choice in favor of one or another? It's, I mean, this is a great way to start because really um, I think the thing that, that would be helpful is for people to have kind of a basic understanding of where are the dangers in, in digital assets. So, you know, the, the incredible and cool thing about um, digital assets and cryptocurrency is that your value is actually safe on the blockchain. Right, that's, that's how it works. So there's this big ledger of all of the things that have, that have happened on that blockchain. So I send some value to you, you send some value to somebody else, you take this asset and buy it and you transfer a little bit of crypto there and then the asset comes into your wallet. All of those transactions are just public. So that's what a blockchain is, is it's a record of all of those assets. So 
And that is secure, and that is secured by you know, proof of work in the case of Bitcoin, proof of stake in the case of Ethereum, but it's secured. And that's what you can be guaranteed. These are public blockchains, and your value is protected and secured on the blockchain. So what you have to worry about is two things. One, someone pretending they're you. Someone else saying, oh, see that value out there on the blockchain? That belongs to me. When it doesn't, it belongs to you. So that's the first thing you have to be aware of. So in that way, you have to protect your private keys. Because if somebody has your private keys, they can say, oh, I'm the owner of that value on the blockchain, and I'm going to move it somewhere else. Actually, I'm going to put it over there. Right? So that's the first thing you have to worry about. The second thing that you have to worry about is at the time you're doing a transaction, do you really know what it is you're doing? Right? Because, you know, you might be, you know, as we know, our, our phones and our computers have kind of layers of technology in them. So it might be that you think you're doing one thing. The screen is showing you, hey, I'm transferring this value uh, to Mike or to my other wallet. Mm. But really what's happening under the covers is I'm transferring it, you know, to Jane. Mm. And that's so that what you see is what you sign is a very important concept of it. So we call it, and I don't think this is us, it's called endpoint security. Right, so your value is secured on the blockchain, but at the endpoints is where you need to be sure that you're secure. Okay, all right, this one is from Hybrid Shinoda. I did my research on hardware wallets, and I believe the ledger is the best and most competitive one in the market at the moment. Why, why thank you. Amazing. You, I think you need to be, be paying them. Uh, for hey, we, we have an affiliate program. Affiliate program. Just right. yeah, hit, hit me up. However, I'm new to Web3 and I still haven't had the chance to accumulate big sums in crypto money and being held back from buying uh, by the high price of hardware wallets. So, okay, hardware wallets are, for this person's budget, are expensive. How would you, how would you convince a person that they should buy a hardware wallet? So let's talk just for a second about hardware wallets versus software wallets. Um, you know, a software wallet is a wallet that's in your phone or on your computer, and it's entirely in software. Um, a hardware wallet is one where your private keys are stored on a secondary device, such as a ledger. Um, you know, the, the, you know, in a software wallet, if your phone is compromised or your computer is compromised, then someone could get at your um, private key, or at the time you're making a transaction, it might be that you're signing something that's different than what you think you're signing. So that's why you would, choose a hardware wallet over a software wallet. Now the question is really about at what point do you want to migrate from a software wallet to a hardware wallet? Ledger Nano S Plus is $80, right? So I think anytime you have value over $80 or over $100, it's a pretty good time to, you know, your, your cost benefit analysis says, okay, this is worth it. Because if I lose this, um, then, you know, then I'm, I'm losing more than the cost of the wallet. So generally, I would say if you've got more than you know, 80 or $100 in your wallet, it's worth you know, going to Best Buy or going to ledger.com and picking up a Nano S Plus. Um, the Nano X, which is the one that comes with Bluetooth, is $150, so you could think of it that way. Um, a lot of our customers tell us that you know, around $1,000 in value is, is where they, you know, they really feel the need. What I would say is like, don't put it off. Like, I know how these things go. You know, you get set up in a software wallet and, you know, your value grows and you're always going to do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I talked to a friend last week who did lose two crypto punks. True story. Mm. Um, he, of course, he's a friend. He knows about Ledger. He was going to move him to a Ledger. 
mm-hmm. just hadn't done it yet. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Like, just, you know, if you're, if you're kind of going into this space, you're going to accumulate digital, digital things, digital assets. I'll also say it's not entirely monetary value. Yeah, that, I, was, I was actually going to point that out. You know, I, I have an, a nice collection on, on Tezos. Is it worth a lot? Well, I mean, a couple things are worth a little bit, but a lot of them are just, you know, near and dear to my heart. You know, it's like in the, in the 90s, you know, when somebody smashes the window of your car and steals your CD wallet. You know <laughs> what I mean? It, it's not, it doesn't keep you from buying dinner or, you know, buying groceries next week, but... It's pretty heartbreaking, right? I, you know, I, shit, I spent five years building up that CD wallet. But in this case as well, that you are talking about items that in some cases can't be replicated. Like if exactly. you were given a one of one or even a one of a hundred, but it's just all of, nobody's gonna sell the rest of them. If, they're, if nobody wants to sell theirs and you lose your one, you, it's not replaceable. Yeah, it's not replaceable. So it's not necessarily about monetary value. Um, you know, I think it's also, you know, look in my collection on Tezos, just is, as an example, I think it is a lot like your CD wallet because I don't think it's super high value, but I've put a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of care and a lot of thought and relationships with artists and those sort of things into it. So it has sentimental value. So I think you need to take that into consideration. I want to say one other thing though, that, that is really important that, that I encounter a lot is artists getting into the space Mm. because you know, if you're an artist and you're actually going to be minting, be sure you're minting with a ledger. Um, because, you know, let's say you're, you know, it's, it's happened that, you know, that art blocks drop where the contract is owned by the artist is, you know, in a software wallet protected by browser security, Chrome security, um, which is not sufficient. And, you know, then the artist loses control of the wallet and now they've lost control of the art project. Mm. Right. Um, so I think if you're an artist getting into the space, be sure you start with, you know, a, a hardware wallet. So you're, um, you know, so you're, you're, you're really, you know, you're, you are creating something that hopefully people are going to care about later and make sure that that's, that, that is protected both for you and for your collectors. Great. Uh, this was a more general question asked by multiple people. For someone completely new to Web3, what kind of security features and security risks should I know about? Well, I think, um, like we talked about in the first question, I mean, you know, I, I think the, the thing I just love, and I'll say it again, you know, this is a new human invention. You know, like, you know, the automobile, like the silicon chip, like the internet, you know, it's a, it, you know, this solution to the Byzantine general's problem, which is, you know, how can I have something which is both digital and scarce? Like that alone is, it's huge, right? Um, and we live digital lives and therefore there will be digital economy and we'll have digital collectibles and we'll have digital ways of showing who we are. You know, I have a, an NFT on my watch that is a, uh, you know, that, that not very, you know, that, that someone else can't have, right? You know, it's, a, it's a, that, that's, I don't know, you might think it's silly, but it's no more silly than having a rare watch, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of in that, that, that same, that same class of, uh, you know, human emotion or human, um, you know, wanting to be individuals, wanting to be whatever it is we are. Um, so, but, but because of that, you now, that means you have digital things which you could lose. And you have to think of it that way, you know, and, and that is a new thing for, for, for many of us, you know. I mean, you think about, well, I could, I could lose a $20 bill or I could lose my cell phone, but the things on your computer seem, 
you know, retrievable. Um, you know, so you just have to think like, okay, if, if I were to lose my computer, do I have a way of getting back my digital belongings? If I were to lose my phone, do I have a way of getting back my digital belongings? So I think you really need to think about it from that place. The other, the other thing is um, to really think about like, as I'm interacting with this world, am I safe? You know, you, you, I get a, a, you know, a text from someone on Discord. It looks like a member of the community. I think it's a member of a community. They send me this thing. They're going to give me something. Like, I want that. Mm. Okay. I, you know, and then you find out afterwards, like, ah, oh, you've been scammed. I always tell people the very first question you ask yourself is, does it feel like it's too good to be true? In this universe, that's where people get nailed. Is To me, it's like they get an offer that's like, Act now, this is happening. Like, if you don't do it right now, like, you're gonna miss out. And you can't, it, it, that sounds very enticing. Like, the kicks, the FOMO, like, kicks in, yeah. right? Um, Lizard and brain. that's how, yeah, it's that, it's that. If it, I totally agree with you. If it sounds too good yeah. to be true, it probably is. And that could be a short term scam on Discord, mm. or that could be a long term scam, like we've all been through this year mm. with, you know, Oh, put your park your Bitcoin over here, and you're mm. gonna get 12% APR. It's like, hello. Like if it sounds too good to be true, right. it probably is. That's a great point. That's a great point. The long-term scam. This is a bit of a more hardcore question. Apple and some Android products, such as Google Pixel, have a dedicated secure chip, secure enclave in the case of Apple which is isolated from the main CPU and is utilized by wallets such as the open source software wallet MetaMask to store private keys. What advantages do your hardware wallet products have over the solution? So it's a great question. Yeah, it's a t that's a little bit of a hardcore like techie no, question. It, yeah, it, but so I'll, I'll explain because it's a it, it is a great question. So um, increasingly phones have these sort of secure enclaves. Um, and <clears throat> some wallets talk about using this secure enclave to, to store um, your seed phrase. Um, so it sounds quite, quite secure. The reality is, is that most wallets don't use these to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, so it doesn't apply to most wallets. And even if the wallet uses it, the secure enclave doesn't itself have any cryptographic computational abilities, right? So in the case of Ledger, Ledger has a secure element chip um, and, and that's where everything happens. So the way a ledger is architected, there's a secure element chip inside of it. Secure elements are kind of notoriously difficult to program because if something goes funny, they just shut down. Mm. So you know that you always hear about like kind of stack overflow type of things where people are just kind of like jamming lots of data to chip just to see what happens. Can, mm. I, can I kind of trick the chip and then kind of trick the code into doing something it wasn't intended to do and it has these other consequences. So to, to defeat that sort of thing, a secure element, anytime it doesn't get an instruction that's kind of exactly as expected, it just goes, mm. I'm not doing anything for anyone. Right? So they're kind of notoriously difficult to program. So what you have is you have this real secure chip inside of a ledger. It's directly connected to the screen and the buttons. So there's no software, there's no other drivers or anything in between. I'll come back to that. Now, a phone, which, which has a lot of software in it, they can have a secure enclave, but the secure enclave doesn't do the cryptographic um, you know, uh, computation. So your, your bit of software has to reach into the secure enclave, retrieve it, bring it into you know, memory with the rest of the software, hmm. do the computations, and then you know, delete it or put it back. 
right? So you're, you're not actually keeping your private keys offline in the way, same way that you are with a ledger. You're actually bringing it into the operating system. But you know, the challenge that your phone has is it's as if you know, I said to you, hey, Mike, um, I've got a billion in gold bars, and I want you to run security for this building, mm. right? And you're like, okay, I think, all right, we got to, like, you start to think about in your head how I'm going to reinforce this building. And then I call you, like, a week later, and I'm like, so you know what? I'm going to put a, a shopping mall and a nightclub and a kindergarten on the ground floor of this building as well. Mm. You'd be like, wait. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you not? Can you put them next door? Can I just... That's the task that your, that your phone has, right? And, and this, is, this is why, you know, your phone stands zero chance of being able to protect digital value. Zero chance. There's, it's just not technically possible. Um, your phone plus a ledger is really, really, really secure because you've, you've, got, you can, you've got your private keys offline. And at the time of transaction, you can look on the device and go, am I really doing what I think I'm doing? Hmm. Now, we can cover blind signing in a minute, but, but mm -hmm. that's, that's how it works. And this model works really well. I do think, ultimately, our phones will become more secure, but they will need to be rebuilt ground up to do that. You know, we're in, we're in kind of like the 2002 iPod phase of this space, and, you know, it's 2007, 2008 before you get the iPhone. Mm. That's where we are. We have, you know, the other thing I always think about is in the year 2000, I knew the internet was the future. I was sure of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any question at all. Mm. And I had a cell phone in my pocket. And the cell phone I had in my pocket in 2000 did zero with respect to the internet. Mm. Sitting here today talking to you, I know digital assets are a big part of the future of humanity. And I have a cell phone in my pocket which is fundamentally bad at protecting digital assets. So 10 years from now, I don't think that'll be the case. But the solution for today, just like the solution in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, mm -hmm. I had a phone and I had an iPod, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, today I've got an iPhone and if I say, hey, Siri, play some Slayer, it plays Slayer, right? You know, like you get there, ultimately. That's where we are today. You know, I have a phone and I have a ledger and that's, you know, the next few years of the digi of this digital asset space. This is a great, um, uh, a great transition. What do you think the future of Web3 will look like when we hit mainstream adoption? What, what differences might we see? You know, I think that there, there are some things that are, um, you know, to me they're, they're foregone conclusions, but, but they're a long ways off, such as your government ID ultimately will be a digital document, right? Mm. So I, I find it ironic that the way that I got into parties at NFT NYC was, you know, kind of more futuristic, more secure, than the way I got into the country when I came to NFT NYC from France, right? Mm -hmm. like, you know that gap gets closed. Um, I find it similarly ironic that when I go to the, you know, the, the local vegetable shop in my neighborhood in Paris and I pay with Apple Pay, which by the way, they didn't want three years ago, right? The mm. pandemic totally changed this. Mm. Um, that Visa is involved. They're not extending credit to me. Like I'm basically paying cash, right? And mm. we have, international instantaneous cash settlement with cryptocurrency. So why do I have this kind of like legacy banking system mm. in the middle of this kind of taking a, you know, a 3% tax 
You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that, those things to me, these are like these big things that are big changes in, in society. But there are also smaller things, right? That are that where, you know, I collect vinyl today. In the future, when I go to Bandcamp, I might have the option to stream for free, buy the CD for $15, buy the vinyl for $30, or buy the NFT for $35. Mm -hmm. And not only is that a collectible that I can put in my gallery and I can show off to show like I'm the biggest fan, mm. but also that's my ticket into artist world. I think for me, the version that feels very accessible and appealing is anything that we're doing today that, that looks like a ticket or that looks like a membership. That like, if you would buy an annual pass for something or if you would buy a ticket into or, or, a, or a, a VIP or even uh, access in any way, to put those in the form of a, of a token feels like very fluid and natural, um, because, partially because like there are many of us that like when we went to concerts, that we'd keep our ticket stub, right? You had like a collection of your passes or your ticket stubs or whatever. Your I actually, when, when I used to buy, even when I used to buy cassettes, CDs and vinyl, I'd, I'd keep all the packaging because I love the art and right. I, the, yeah. So this is, a, this is a, a version of that just doesn't take up any space and allows you to say, yeah, I've, like you can see on this, this, this NFT or this token, whatever, that I was a fan of the, that artist from the very beginning. Exactly. I went to the show. Like you can see all of those things on chain. Yeah. So here's a really simple answer to the question, which is how do you picture the future of this Web3 thing? Mm. What I would say is take MySpace, Discord, and, and LPU, Linkin Park Underground, and rebuild them token up, that's what the future looks like. I, I say MySpace intentionally because MySpace was early, it was ugly, everyone over 30 thought it was stupid, everyone <laughs> under 30 wanted to be there, right? Now just make MySpace, instead of it being built from your hard drive, it's built from your wallet. Mm. Discord, you know, make it built you know, token-gated from the get-go, your, um, you know, your profile, your banner, those are, those are um, NFTs. I have a tray of emojis. I've also got a tray of NFTs, right, mm. that I can drop into a chat. And then to your point about LPU, I've got membership, I've got belonging, I've got a conference and a concert and a ticket and all these things that I can, like, be a part of and go to. I mean, you know, I like when Clayton Christensen says, you know, there haven't been any new human problems in 70,000 years. We just hire new technologies to solve old problems. Mm. Yeah. So. Anomaly28 wants to know what you think are some good tips for an artist that wants to create and sell NFTs. You know, what I always tell artists is jump into some communities and get a feel for it as the first thing. Great, great. You know, when I, when I talk, and I think, I think maybe you're one of the artists who's told me this, that the first thing you did was just sort of like jump in, listen, be a part, um, and I, I just did this. I just had this conversation with a friend recently. He's a sculptor, and he wanted to know. He had some ideas, and I said, "Don't do anything. You know, um, go go join the discords of Object FX Hash. Mm -hmm. You know." And I was like intentionally saying, "You know, not CryptoPunks, not nice. you know, not not proof, right? Yeah, like, do Object. Be like on the ground. Yeah, right. Um, collect on Tezos." And I mean that because it just feels so different. For me, collecting on Ethereum, which I do, but it feels like gambling. Mm. You know, 
collecting on Tezos feels like a value exchange with an artist. And so I think especially as an artist, you know, you kind of, it's a great place to start because you're like, what do I like? What do I not like? Ooh, this right. is garbage. Like, oh, this is really interesting. You reach out to those people on Twitter, they respond to you. Like, you know, how often I buy things on, you know, Twitter, I'm sorry, I buy things on Object, and then I look at my notifications on Twitter, and the, you know, the artist has, like, thanked me mm -hmm. like, without me hitting them first. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, like, you, I think feeling that, that's the thing that I think so many people haven't experienced. They sort of read the headlines, but they haven't felt what it feels like to have a value exchange between, you know, between them and an artist. So I think whether you're an artist or a consumer, starting with that kind of, like, you know, the low-stakes table and like getting a feel for it as opposed to, you know, betting the nest egg on, you know, on some, something that, that you're, you're biting your nails, you know, um, is a great place to start. Yeah, the, the val there's, there's a, value is a fuzzy thing, isn't it? Like people, like why is that this pair of pants more expensive than that pair of pants? And, and why do so many people buy this one over that one? It's and young, I shouldn't say young, but like people that are just getting started and selling their art, like as an independent like artist, a lot of times I'll see them ask like, how do I increase the number? How do I make more money doing this? And I'm usually telling them like, well, number one, you can't do it by gaming anything. Like you can't, it's not gonna be about like, can you employ like certain tricks to get more people to spend more money. That's not how that works. Like you, I, th I think personally, it's more about like, get really fucking good at your craft, right? And make people like communicate without, just through the work that it's really great and it's really valuable. And then on top of that, it is gonna be about personal connections and community. Because if people just love you, you could be selling a blank JPEG. Yeah. And they're going to, I mean, there are artists that have done it. <laughs> like, yeah. selling like things that aren't aesthetically really anything, but it's about some other concept. Well, and I think that's why it's, it's important to kind of be in these communities a bit and see what it is people are doing. You know, I think that, you know, all the, the artists who I've seen go through that, they inevitably find things they like and things they don't like. And then that is inspirational. And they, mm -hmm. you know, then they take it this direction or that direction. Um, and so I think hearing, you know, all of those different artist stories, like hearing Tyler and Dandelion Wiss talk about QQL is just one of those things where you go, wow, okay, there's a lot here. Yeah. There's a lot here. In their case. Yeah. Um, okay, very, like, straightforward question. What does blind signing mean? It's a great question. So um, blockchains like Ethereum, uh, you know, but it's also the same in Tezos or Solana or others, they are smart contract environments. So in some ways, what they aim to be is a world computer, a, a place where you deploy code and then um, you, know, you can interact with that code. And so interactions with that code can actually you know, make transactions. It's like mm. signing a contract. Mm. So blind signing is when you are interacting with a contract, signing a contract, confirming a contract, say, um, without reading it. Mm. So it's like if you got that DocuSign link and instead of you know, opening it, seeing the contract and going to each page and initialing and signing at the end, you just like clicked sign in the email. I, I describe it to some people as an automation. Like you're saying start the automation, but you don't know what the automation is about to do. Exactly, you're, exactly. You're saying, 
I'm, I'm going to do something, and you're going to tell me it's okay <laughs> that I do that thing. Do you mind just saying okay? Yeah. You're like, um, wait, could you tell me what it's going to do first? Right. Actually, I can't. Uh, that's why it says blind signing in all, in all bold on your ledger, and there's a big exclamation point because you're making a big leap, right? And, and we, all, we all do it. You know, I mean, you know, it's, there are many things where your only option actually is to blind sign and you have to have some level of trust. We're trying to eliminate those as many as we can by showing you what's happening when you're doing the thing on your ledger. So for example, if you, um, you, know, you send something from OpenSea, you're blind signing. If you send an NFT from Ledger Live, you're clear signing. You'll be able to see exactly what it is. We're developing a product called Ledger Connect. And in Ledger Connect, we do two things. One, we do something called Web3 Check. And what, what that is, we actually look at a bunch of kind of obvious things. You know, is the contract not that old? Is the contract URL different from the URL of the site that you're on? Is your, you know, just sort of like, it's mm. almost like a spam filter, right? Mm. And then we tell you if there are warnings. You know, because some things are really sophisticated and some of the scams are pretty obvious, right? And so we're trying to make sure that at least the obvious ones go away. The other thing that we're doing is to try to show you what we call wallet impact. So before you sign, let's show what happens in your wallet, right? Great, so great. when you sign this transaction, you will be minus one NFT. Mm. Is that what you intended? If so, go ahead and sign the transaction. If not, maybe back up, you know, easy back it up and, you know, see what you, what you really want to do. So basically blind signing is signing a contract you haven't read, mm. which is always a bad idea. Mm. Coming back to the music business analogies. <laughs> nice. uh, signing, yeah, blind signing is like being an artist in the 50s. <laughs> What's the thing you didn't think about and wish you did? So what did you not think about when you minted your first NFT? And what NFT was it? I feel like this is a question for you. I minted, the first thing that I, I minted was a... Um, an MP3 of the 100th uh, song, 100th stream that I did on Twitch. So I was doing live streams on Twitch where I'd make songs. And when I got to 100, that track was actually one of my favorite ones. I just was amped that like I'd made it to 100 streams. So I called it 100th stream and I made this track. And then I listened to it and loved it and um, like later. And I was like, oh, I think that's what I want to mint. Like it was such a, like a little moment and um, put it up with just like a, 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 like almost like a throwaway JPEG image. Um, and I did that on Zora. And what, of, of all of the things you've done, like what do you wish you would have known earlier? Um, I feel okay. I mean, like, uh, for me, like, making mistakes at this stage in the game is fine. Like, I don't feel like I've made any mistakes that I would be like, I really wish I hadn't done this specific thing. It's more like, no, I'd like, you know, you, you, like, talking about the ways we were talking earlier about, oh, when you mint a collection, like, uh, point that at the ledger wallet and things like that, like, technical specifics. Yeah. There are, there are, technicalities that I go later, uh, maybe I wouldn't have done that, or can we fix this, you know, element. Um, but those are very, like, specific. In broad strokes, I wouldn't, I feel like everything, we're, we're at an experimental phase. Like, things are going to break, things are going to, 
you're going to do things that you go, oh, I learned from that. I don't want to do that that way next time. And that's what, that's just kind of like the name of the game. Oh, I love this one. It's tr- feel like it's a trick question. <laughs> what do you want to get out of your NFTs? <laughs> you like how I asked it? Like, I'm like, this, that's how I hear this question in my head. What are you trying to get out of this, Ian? It is actually a good question. <laughs> you know, but it is also, it's, it, to me, the question is like asking, what do you want to get out of that Louis Vuitton handbag? Right. What, is it, what is it you want to get out of that, you know, Misfits 7-inch? Right. right. What is it you want? You know, it's, um, you know, we, we are, we're, we are these, these, you know, why do I have tattoos? You know, we're like, we're, we're animals who, you know, we love, you know, many of us, you know, we love culture. We love, um, you know, we love, we were looking for identity. We're looking for community. Mm. We're, um, and we love to love, you know, I mean, and I think, you know, that, that is, that's why, you know, my advice to people is always like, you know, how, do this thing where you go find art that you love mm. and pay someone for that art. Th- you know, thank them for creating the art. Feel what it feels like for them to thank you for enjoying their art. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if you've, once you've done that, you know, I don't care if it's digital or physical, but once you've done that, you know, um, you know, if I hear a, an album by an artist, you know, who I have some way of reaching at this point in my life, I send them an email and say, thank you. Like, mm. this, this album brings me joy, you know? Um, that, like, value exchange between two humans is a beautiful thing. If someone creates something, and I don't care if it's digital or physical, but somebody has craft, and they have crafted something, and someone else finds beauty in it, finds value in it, and those two people have a value exchange. Even when we were making Winamp, and people were giving us $10, like you got nothing, it was shareware, right? But it was just a value exchange between two humans. It was one person saying, thank you for making this thing that you're making. Mm. Here's $10. Mm. I think that feels really good mm. as a human being. So for me, that's what I wanna get out of it, is that feeling. And I think an internet, which is based on consensual value exchange between two human beings who appreciate each other, is better than an internet where you are the product, which is the internet we have today. Yeah. There's a, in my experience with making stuff and supporting the community that that, that, that ecosystem that develops around the making of the stuff, um, I value the, I value the connection so much. Like I think that, that the mutual interests and like Lincoln Park ends up being like a conversation starter and people show up and they're on the message board, back in the day, on the message board together, at the show together, they meet at the summit, the conventions, um, for the first time in real life, they've been, they've known each other online, like all of these, all of those elements are the most special to me and I experience them as a fan of music. I experience them as a fan of art and painting, visual art. Um, they're so prevalent in gaming. They're so prevalent in even in technology when people go to conferences to see the hot new things. You can feel like, oh, I'm here to see this new gadget or I really want to check out um, so-and-so's booth, right? 
you, that's around community. It's around connection. Like we are all fans of that widget. That widget is so cool. The people that made the widget are great. There are our icons, whatever. And that, I feel like we all, I get so much out of that. Um, to me, that's where this, that's really what this is about. Yeah. Where should I buy my first one? Uh, I think they're talking about NFTs. Mm -hmm. You know, not knowing who you are, asking the question, um, I would say go to object.com, objkt.com, um, get some Tezos, find something you like, and buy it. And I say that because it'll be very inexpensive. You won't pay you know, high gas. You, you'll probably be able to find something that you like for um, you know, a reasonable amount of money. Tell them what gas is. Um, gas is what you pay for the transaction fee. So um, transaction fees are, are you know, and, and you know, they're actually not bad right now on the Ethereum network, but you know, they're more than you're going to pay pennies or a fraction of a penny on, on a Tezos or Solana. But there's a lot of, there's a vibrant art community on object.com, which is why I always tell people to start there. Um, it's a great place to start. And there's many places you can go after that. You can go to Versum and FX Hash, and those are also on Tezos. You can spend your Tezos there, and there's great stuff and vibrant communities. I would also get into the Discord of those sites because you'll find, you'll find people, you'll find art, you'll, find, you'll get tipped off. Follow artists, start to follow artists you like on Twitter, see who they follow. Um, on Object, you can look and see that piece I like, who owns it? What else do they own? You can start following those artists. You can look at notifications. Like it's a, it's a relatively inexpensive but rewarding rabbit hole, which is why that's where I, where I suggest you start. There are certainly, just like at a casino, there are certainly higher stakes tables, right? But I like to start downtown, Binion's Horseshoes, $10 craps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I agree with that. Um, okay. The last one was, how do I spot an NFT scam? I think we did that, kind of. Yeah. Right? I mean, if, uh, Is there anything else that we, you no, would want to say? it looks too good to be true, it's yeah. too good to be true. Okay. What I would say is, um, you know, I, I think one, th one thing I, I would say that we didn't really cover, no one asked, is, like, what is kind of, like, wallet hygiene? Because we kind of talked mm. about it. We talked about what is security. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about what is blind signing, right? Um, so we talked about, like, what do you need to know to be secure? Um, why a hardware wallet? Mm. And then we talked about blind signing. But if you put those together, you get kind of, like, best practices for wallet hygiene. Mm. And so what I would do is, I, you know, I would have, you know, if you do have a lot of value, you know, you can, like, the, and value that you're not going to touch. Put that on one ledger and put it somewhere safe. Also, seed phrase. When you set up a ledger, it's going to ask you to write down 24 words. And so this is for the, this is for the beginner beginners. The first time you've ever downloaded a wallet, this is what you do. You know, I even had this conversation with an artist at the table last night, though. Mm. Write down those 24 words and get them out of your house or apartment. Mm. Right? Put them in a safe deposit box, if you have another option of safe storage, but get them, get them out. If you, have, you know, if you have value that people will want to take from you, you know, take those 24 words and put them somewhere you know, very, you know, that's not, not someplace that an intruder or attacker could, could find you. Um, now, also, I would say segregate. You know, so if you have 
you know, one bag with a lot of value on it, you know, you might want to put that on one ledger and, you know, also have that, you know, in a safe or at a safe deposit box or something like that. Um, you know, you might have a wallet with your NFTs that's a vault, and then you have another wallet for minting. So, you know, so if you've got NFTs of value, put them in a wallet where you never, ever, 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 ever under any circumstances blind sign, right? So those are over there on that wallet. And over here, I've got the one where, you know, I've got a little bit of Ethereum because uh, I'm minting now and then and I've, and I've um, you know, and, I'm, and I mint and I, I'm also careful, but I mean, the worst that could happen to me is I'm going to lose, you know, this and this. I'm never going to lose my proof pass or my, or like all of my ETH or, you know, so I think that's, that's also just a good, safe way to go. The other thing is to remember that, um, you know, your ledger, if you put the passcode in wrong three times, it'll brick. So if you're in a situation where, you know, you, you don't, you wish you didn't have, you, you know, your value, you can put the passcode in wrong three times, your ledger becomes useless to anyone, including you, but you've got that recovery phrase somewhere safe. So, you know, when you're safe again, you can get back to that recovery phrase and get all your value back, right? So it's safe to, if you, if you have your recovery phrase, you know, safe, um, and you can use a product like CryptoSteel or one of these like steel fireproof storages to store it, there's lots of ways to secure that, um, then you're in, a, you're in a much, much better place. And there's also sort of a plausible deniability feature where you can add another passcode um, that, you know, that, that allows you to, you know, sort of hide you know, have kind of a second passcode so that you're, you're, you know, you could open the device for an attacker, but not, not have them have access to your actual funds. Mm. Mm. So there are, and we have other videos with Ledger where people can learn more about kind of wallet hygiene and more advanced security features, um, but, but they do exist and there, there are good ways of doing this stuff. Okay. That was great. Thanks, man. Some, I just some want to beginner stuff, some intermediate stuff, some expert stuff. I feel like that was good. Cool. And I know, and we maybe have a pro model. <laughs> now we know. Mike, thank you, thank you for doing this. I, and I mean it, like for all of it. Like thanks for like being in the space and and for, you know, helping to push things forward. I think uh, I love that you do it in a way that is like community driven and and selfless. I, I honestly think we're we're lucky to have you have thank you me. along with us. So, um, and thanks you guys for watching. And thanks to everybody from Mike's Discord for the great questions. I hope it was helpful. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.